welcome to State of Fear. I'm your host, Chris, and with me as always is James. Howdy, folks. Welcome to our inaugural episode. Uh, each episode will cover one state and one topic that we have discovered from that state that we want to discuss. Yeah, the reason we decided to start this podcast is Chris and I are both paranormal investigators. We're both very interested in things macabre, very. things that are strange, UFOs, cryptids, you name it. True crime. Absolutely. Um, just all kinds of random weird stuff that happens that we hear about in the news all the time. But it's you know it's always from different states. Um, sometimes it's from here in Texas. We have a lot that happens yeah. here in Texas. Yeah, we have had a lot happen here too. But we we thought, why don't we discuss something from each state because each state has its own story and has its own tales of strangeness. Yes, and if you got something weird, we're gonna find out about it. Yeah, and, and not only are we both paranormal investigators but we are both avid learners yes very much so i am definitely looking forward to this i have been in the paranormal biz for about 10 years mm -hmm. i've always been interested in uh, like bigfoot ufos i believe these things exist personally but we're going to dig into some of this stuff you know it just depends on so let's let's talk about that james let's talk about what got you started in your interest in the paranormal actually as funny as it sounds I started out uh, when I was a kid crawling through mines because I used to hear voices in mine shafts. I would go to these mine shafts and stuff like that, and okay. I would hear like, mine shafts things. where in Colorado. Okay, growing so up. in Colorado, yeah. so you'd actually go out into the middle of the wilderness. Yep, and you would find mine shafts. They're everywhere. Okay, all right, go on. I'm sorry. They're go actually on, just... easy. No, they're actually easy, very easy to find. There were a couple that were really cool, but I just had this thing about scary houses when i was a kid i actually lived in a haunted house when uh -huh. i was a child but i had no idea that i was really and had i known that yeah <laughs> i was upstairs in the farthest room away from my parents all the way on the dark side of the house oh, wow. because i wanted it now, i thought it was cool up there come to find out that the ghost of a young girl supposedly haunted this place okay i did not ever see her I did not even sense her because when I was a kid, you didn't pay attention to stuff like that. But I did have on two different occasions, I mean, it's all hearsay. Yeah, do I have proof? No, I didn't have mm -hmm. a camera back then. I can't prove it. But I tell you now, two of the weirdest little episodes I've ever had. Yeah. I used to ha I had this little toy car okay. that I loved to play with, a little Mach 5 Speed Racer car. I found that damn thing out by the well. In the backyard, the well was filled in. It wasn't, you know, it was an old well. Okay. All the old bricks and rocks were still there. Yeah. I found my car out by this well twice, and I did not put it there myself. Huh. I never took it out back. Okay. But I found it out there twice. I blamed my sister. We used to get in fights over because I thought she was touching my stuff. But years later, I come to find out that a young girl had actually drowned in that well. Now, does that sound like a typical story? Sure, I know everybody's seen The Ring or whatever. Yeah. But this was actually in an 18... Oh, God, what was it? Happened somewhere around the 1890s. Mm -hmm. uh, the city, the, the town itself was uh, founded in 1880. And in 1890, she, this girl, had drowned in this well. Okay. In this house. That wasn't this particular house, maybe. Maybe it was. I don't really recall the history of the house, if it was rebuilt or what the case may be. But on this site, this girl perished in this Oh, well. wow. Okay. So, yeah. That's, 
And so when that happened, that yeah. got me thinking about stuff. I found yeah. out about it. And instead of being terrified, I was like, you're very interested Whoa. about it. It got your mind going. I said, very cool. So I, I used to like to explore and do stuff like that. But was I actually quote unquote at the time ghost hunting or anything like that? No. Was I out in the woods looking for Bigfoot by myself in the middle of the woods when I was, you know, 10 years old? No. Okay. But I was always interested in these creatures. Yeah. So as I grew older, I got to the point to where I started hearing more stories, seeing more things. And the only thing that disturbs me personally, you know, I know you see a lot of pictures, you see a lot of stories, you see a lot of this and that. Because like I said, I personally believe... That some of these creatures exist. Uh-huh. Nessie, I believe in Nessie. Okay. Uh, she may not be there now, but, you know, they always discuss the fact that she may be one sort of, uh, one of the dinosaurs that survived. The plesiosaur, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that just got me stimulated. And then with my ex-wife, who I'm still very good friends with. Uh-huh. We started a paranormal group about 10 years ago, which now, you know, me and you are members of. of, Right. And I have been like gung-ho ever since. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. I love to investigate. And then when you brought up the idea to do this podcast, the opportunity to learn more, because yes, I do know some things, but there is a ton of stuff out there I have yet to learn about. And so that brings me to a question. So you've had interest in it pretty much since you were a kid and you've had occurrences that happened here and there, but and you said it, it didn't frighten you. It intrigued you. But uh, growing up throughout your, your elementary, middle school, high school, did you ever actively learn, read, or, or, or find out about this kind of stuff? Unfortunately, no. Okay. I was too busy with the Boy Scouts. I was too busy running around the mountains, so you were doing riding other dirt things. bikes, playing, goofing yeah. off. Yeah, so I wasn't so, much of a bookworm. So now this is kind of an opportunity for you to learn more about these topics. Okay. And I, and I look forward to that big time. Okay. I see, I kind of come from the opposite side. So growing up, I mean, the first book I ever read was a book on werewolves i think i was like five and i got it from the library and it was a book it wasn't a book about like fake werewolves it was a book about like actual werewolves throughout history and from that point i was hooked and i just read non-stop and anything i can get my hands on uh, i ran i read uh hans holzer i ran the the uh warren books i read uh anything by uh lloyd auerbach timothy good i mean i just anything ufos uh, um ghosts cryptids Anything like that I could get my hands on, I, I would read. And it wasn't until 2004 when I started actively investigating the paranormal. It's about the same time that Ghost Hunters came on TV with the TAPS team. Up to that point, I knew that there were people out there who had been doing this. Like the Warrens, John Zaffis, Lloyd Auerbach. Uh, they'd all been investigating the paranormal. But I didn't realize that it could be done by people at home. It wasn't until Ghost Hunters came on and I saw... The equipment that they used and saw that it was equipment that could be easily obtained anywhere, really. Yes. And at that point, I gathered a few friends who were also interested in it, and we formed a group. And we went on investigations and had, had investigations in, in people's houses and in buildings and, and all this stuff. And that really got my interest peaked. And from when I was a kid until when I started the paranormal group, I was a hardcore believer. Hardcore believer. I still believe in everything. I believe in Bigfoot. I believe in aliens. I believe in uh, Chupacabra. I believe in werewolves. I believe in all this stuff. I am now, since I've started 
investigating the paranormal actively since 2004, I've kind of switched. I've become what I call a healthy skeptic. Yes. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, really. No. A little, a, a good, a good dose of skepticism with any situation is good because you, it doesn't, it, it you know, like people who just fall for anything. Yeah. Think every orb right. is a ghost. Think, you right. know, you know, every little noise is something paranormal. No. Yeah. Don't, you know, I, I, you know, we don't want to be like that. Right. We want to be smart. You don't, you know, you want to try to debunk everything. It's right. the stuff that you can't debunk. The stuff that you chase down, you listen to over and over, and you just can't explain. That's where it gets exciting. Yeah, and and I, I, I became more interested in the evidence than in the stories because people can tell stories all day long. Uh, and as we've seen, people can have quote-unquote evidence. Uh, other teams can have quote-unquote evidence. For the most part, it's always the same thing. And when people like us go in there to investigate we can never recreate what they claim to have happened. And if you yeah. can't recreate it, if you can't scientifically recreate it, then you don't have any objective evidence. All you exactly. have is subjective. And you get people, oh, that's bullshit, or giving you trouble, you yeah. know, or saying, hey, nah, you're full of crap and all this. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's stupid, but it's true. People, for the most part, don't go on faith when it comes to most of this stuff. They have to see something. They have to be able to feel it. They have to be able to wrap their hands around it. You know, it, it's like, what's the word I'm looking for here? They have to have something tangible when you're trying to prove to somebody. Like, we know that people don't watch the TV shows to, quote-unquote, learn something. Right. They watch the shows because they want to go to the end where all the evidence is revealed. Right. They want to hear those EVPs. They want to see the shadows caught on camera and stuff like that. They want to see the, you know? the investigators get scared. That's what Absolutely. they're there for. They're Dude, for the thrills. Run, you know, yeah. yeah. They're there for the thrills. They're not there for to learn anything about what's going on in the field. And that's the, that's the sad part because learning this stuff as well as enjoying it you know, that's that's really what I'm looking forward to. I mean, yes, I have learned so much since I've started doing this, but I am man, I am looking forward to this. Yeah. I really, really am. By the time, you know, you know, we get two or three seasons of this thing under our belt, I'm gonna know so much more about paranormal and the strange. I'm just gonna love it. This yeah. is fantastic. So today's state is Alabama. Alabama. And the topic for you we've, Southerners. Yeah, the topic we've chosen is one that many people may not be familiar with. Uh, I know I wasn't too familiar with it. And I actually found this myself. I was proud of myself, and yeah. it's a good one. Yeah, it's the Alabama white thing. No, thang. Yeah, T H A N G. That's exactly the how Alabama it's written. Alabama white thang. And that's how it's written. That's how it's pronounced. It's the Alabama white thing. But before we get into the Alabama white thing, first, let's discuss the weird news of the day. This is a segment we will run at the beginning of each episode on an unrelated story of current news or strange happenings that around the country, news stories or videos that come out, we'll talk about whatever the case may be. Today's news of the day is from November 6th of 2019. The t 
the title of the article is Former Owner Calls Ghost Adventures Special a Disgrace and Questions Police Involved. Now, this was from Burrowville, Rhode Island. The woman who owned an allegedly haunted farmhouse in Harrisville for 32 years has come out against a program about the property that premiered on Halloween night on the Travel Channel, questioning a scene in which a Burrowville police officer is seen discussing alleged calls for service to the home during the time she lived there. Norma Sutcliffe, who owned the house that inspired the 2013 hit film The Conjuring from 1987 through June of 2019, has long said that the property at 1677 Round Top Road is not filled with malevolent ghosts and spirits, as many have claimed. And following a two-hour ghost adventure special on the house that was released, Sutcliffe is speaking out and has filed a complaint with the Burrowville Police Department regarding statements made about her life there. Quoting her, This is the disgrace and I am angry about an appearance of a police officer claiming things are absolute lies, Sutcliffe told NRI Now. The team from Ghost Adventures visited the house in August to film the special in which paranormal investigator Zach Bagans meets with former resident Andrea Perone, among others, and claims to attempt to verify reports that the house is cursed. Perone and her family lived on the property since the 1970s, and it was their experience with famed paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren that inspired the film, the first movie in which is now a series known as The Conjuring Universe. Sutcliffe sold the home, which she and her husband bought in 1987, for $169,500, to Corey and Jennifer Heinzen in June for $439,000. That's a good flip right there. Good flip. Yeah. The Heinzens, also paranormal investigators, hailing from Maine, have said they plan to open the farmhouse to the public. Uh-huh. And camera crews were on the property filming for a national program within months of their arrival in Burrowville. We're here because the new owners believe that this dark force has been reawakened, Bagans says. Bagans also speaks to Burrowville Police Lieutenant Albert Carlo in the program dubbed The Curse of the Harrisville Farmhouse. We've tracked down the lieutenant who was, has jurisdiction over the area, the star of the popular ghost hunting program says. A lot of people knew, the ha- knew of the house and knew of some of the things that happened here, says Carlo. After the movie, it became nonstop traffic up and down the road. And that happens a lot. Yeah. You know, the location gets exposed. It mm-hmm. gets overrun. Oh, yeah. Bagans says that Carlo told him that the owner, just before Corey, had several emergency calls to 911 for mysterious illnesses. We would come here in the middle of the night said Carlo. It was constant for a guy that didn't seem to be that ill at all. Sutcliffe calls the statement lies and she has filed a complaint over the story with the Burrowville Police Department. Asked about the appearance, Burrowville Police Colonel Stephen Lynch said that the policeman's Bill of Rights prohibits him from speaking publicly on any complaints regarding an officer. The show also discusses incidents that allegedly took place in nearly three in, in, in the nearly 300-year-old home, including reports of suicides and murders of members of the Arnold family that once owned it. The problem, says Sutcliffe, a counselor who operated a daycare facility in the house for some 20 years, is that it's all false. Sutcliffe says she researched the home and the Arnold family whose stories have become an urban legend at the library in Harrisville. There were never any murders, suicides, or drowning on the property, said Sutcliffe, running through the members of the Arnold family named as victims of mysterious deaths on the program. Prudence was murdered in Douglas, Massachusetts in her home. 
No drowning was ever published. Sarah and John died in their home. And while some may think it's harmless to indulge in curiosity around a story that is ultimately fabricated, Sutcliffe disagrees, saying that the historic property should be revered, not exploited. She has also sent a letter to the Travel Channel. You have lied about everything, wrote Sutcliffe. Do what should have been done before you film. That's to find the truth through evidence, which is true. I agree with that. 100%. If you claim it's so obviously haunted, then get the real scientists and skeptics in to do research, Sutcliffe wrote. But you don't dare. We can't continue to defraud the world more so now. We have enough of that surrounding America and the world. She's not alone in her mission to clear up the facts. Jaime Rubio says that she spent a lot of time researching the life of the woman whose spirit allegedly haunts the property. Bathsheba Sherman, and has published her findings. It was not until the 1970s that mysterious rumors sprang up out of thin air, ruining Bathsheba's reputation posthumously, wrote Rubio in a blog. No one in the town had ever heard of any questionable events regarding Bathsheba, but all of a sudden stories were spreading like wildfire in this small community. Older folks who respected history became agitated by the false accusations while the younger, more superstitious ones wondered about the possibilities of this spine-chilling folklore actually being real. Rubio has made it her mission to clean up the record and tell the true history behind the home and its former inhabitants, to give any entity an identity and attach them to names or stories of people who were once actually living human beings and then sully them in death is so very wrong. She's actually very right. Rubio wrote, This has happened to poor Bathsheba and for far too long. My job as a writer is to sift through the story and get to the raw facts. Sometimes we find out that stories are not fact-based, and so we have the responsibility to provide true information to the public in order to set the story straight. She says that when the movie came out in 2013, people began visiting the house at all times of the day and night, damaging the property. Why do people always do that? I know. That bugs the hell out of me. That's terrible. Even though I no longer own the farm, I will forever fight to protect the value of the property as an invaluable heritage site, she said. Yeah, so, I mean, that's not anything that's too surprising to those of us that are in the paranormal field. I mean, we've known for a while that TV shows tend to... uh, Embellish. Embellish, make stuff up. Yes, and also, on the other hand, I do enjoy the shows myself. Uh, I don't watch them religiously, but I do enjoy them once in a while. I do believe every once in a while they do actually catch some real evidence, but unfortunately, I think producers sometimes twist their arms and make them you know, embellish a little bit because when we've been on investigations, we've taken people with us and when they see the real side of the paranormal investigations and see how hard the work actually is, there's no way all that work is done in a 45-minute episode with no. commercials. No, and, and a lot of paranormal investigating is actually very boring. It can uh, be, yeah. Sitting in hour, in dark for hours talking to nobody. Yeah, I mean, the first few hours is exciting because you're in a new place, it's dark, it has a reputation for being haunted. So you're excited to see something or you're scared that something's going to happen. And then after hour four, when nothing happens, because that's 90% of the time, you start becoming bored, especially because it's late at night. Four uh, o'clock in the morning, you're popping five-hour energy shots. (laughs) You're just trying to stay awake. (laughs) Trying to stay awake, yep. uh, Nothing's happened. And so then you have to go back later on and review you know, seven to ten hours worth of audio or video to see if you caught ten seconds of something that might be paranormal. And that is cool because every once in a while it does happen.
today's episode is on the Alabama white thing, as we said. So let's get into the history of the Alabama white thing first. Deep in the North Alabama woods lurks a creature that many people claim to have seen. The legend of the Alabama white thing has been a staple of the state's folklore since the early 1900s. Now, most sightings of the Alabama white thing, or as I'm going to call it now, the AWT, because <laughs> Alabama white thing is hard to say over and over again. Yes, it is. Occur in a triangle area between Morgan, Etowah, and Jefferson counties. Now, people have reported sightings in Walnut Grove, Moody's Chapel, Happy Hollow, and Wheeler Wildlife Refuge, also just name a few. The descriptions that the witnesses give can vary wildly. Uh, several accounts describe the AWT as being 7 to 8 feet tall and covered in thick white hair. Other descriptions of the famous creature paint a picture that sounds more like a white lion. So we're going all across a different spectrum here. Of course. Among some of the most strange descriptions reported, one stands out as the weirdest. A tall white creature standing roughly 7 feet tall and resembling that of a kangaroo with the head of a cat. That is weird that's extremely bizarre but then again i have seen stories on cryptids so yeah I mean, not much not much surprise surprises me when it comes to stuff like that it's also almost kind of reminiscent of like the jersey devil because the jersey devil is supposed to be made of like different you know head of a different horse parts, yeah. bat wings legs yep. of, the, of elk or whatever so yeah despite being gigantic in stature it's allegedly known for its ability to move extremely quickly some have reported that even though it stands on two legs it has been known to run on all fours. Many people claim that the creature sounds like a woman screaming. Others report that a foul odor, like that of dead animals, fills the air whenever the creature is around. Whatever it is, AWT has certainly caught the attention of many Alabama residents. Reports of the AWT date back to the 1930s, and reports of the monster vary. Now, as far as sightings go, there have been quite a few. Um, some of the ones that we've found seem to stretch across uh, quite a few decades. So in the 1940s, a night witness saw the monster and described it as such. It looked like a lion, you know, bushy, betwixt a dog and a lion. So I'll throw some southern accent on it. It was white and slick with long hair. It had a slick tail. Down, down on the end of the tail was a big old bush of hair. Wow, that's crazy. That's weird looking. Uh, in the <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of weird looking. Yeah. Uh, in the 1950s in Mount Doom in Coleman County, around the Hentzville Garden City area, an eyewitness was walking down off the mountain one night, headed home from a friend's house. The man noticed something big and white following him on the path. At first, he actually thought it was a ghost with how white it was, but since he could hear its footsteps... He decided it was a person who might want to rob him. He went behind a bush, got down on one knee, and fired a warning shot from the pistol he carried. The witness said that it turned and ran away on all fours. At that point, he knew it was not a human. Interesting. Yeah. In 2014, rather recently actually, 2014 sighting. A young boy, about nine years old at the time, recounted a white thing sighting to his mother after his family purchased a home located in the northern part of Blunt County and north of Anianta. The house was near a large creek and supplied water to the foliage for many animals. 
One particular day, while all the family was out cleaning, cutting, and doing yard work, his mother and father were working in the front yard that day while he was walking around in the backyard. Right around noon, he came running around the house yelling about a giant creature that was in the ditch. At first, he thought it was a large man with white hood over his head, but it frightened him so severely. I mean, that would frighten me as well, actually. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be damn scary, especially yeah. when you're a little boy. Yeah. Three of them went around to the went around the house to see if it was someone who intended to do harm, but the creature was well gone by the time they got to the ditch. He told his mother that he and the thing caught each other's attention at about the same time and made eye contact for a few moments. It made no sound, nor did it make any threatening moves toward him. It simply walked slowly off into the dense forest. As it walked away, he could then tell it was covered entirely with long, solid white hair. The long hair fell over his face, and he could make out no features other than its eyes. He showed them where the creature stood and about how far up its head was. According to the bushes and trees, they estimated it to be about nine feet tall. You notice how these things get bigger? Yeah, they get like as they go along, they get taller yeah. and taller. This was only one time he had ever encountered an albino Sasquatch. Then recently, the mother, who never doubted what her son saw, saw it for herself. One night around 11 p.m., she walked outside to let her dog out of the house. On this night, the moon shone bright and illuminated a small area some distance away. When she looked over in that area, she noticed a very large figure standing next to a power pole. There was no one who it could or should be because of the size compared to the pole. She could not tell the color. She could only make out the outline of what looked like a Bigfoot. And more recently, in 2016, a woman and her daughter spotted a white Bigfoot crossing the road in front of them near railroad tracks. A few days later, another daughter decided to go to the sighting location. She also saw something she couldn't explain, a hairy white creature standing along the road. She later decided to take photos of the area and found an old set of car keys and other trinkets. Did Bigfoot drop them, perhaps? Perhaps he Maybe did. Maybe he, he uh, was out there, you know, trying to use a little boy's room. He you stopped his car know. to use the boy's room and let, dropped his keys. Now he now he can't get home because he doesn't no. have his car keys anymore. Poor Bigfoot. Poor Bigfeet. Yeah. All right. So that is the brief history and uh, sightings of the Alabama white thing, uh, something that I'd never heard of. And Yeah, and I did, I did a little more reading on it, and the sightings on this thing are pretty much consistent across the board. There were slightly variances, but it is it is pretty much widely accepted this thing is a seven to eight foot tall albino Bigfoot, Bigfoot as it yeah. said in the one sighting. Yeah. Uh, and I did read that consistently. Over and over, the people are seeing pretty much the same thing. So I believe it. I believe it, too. I bet you he's down there. We have to go to Mobile one day and find out for ourselves. I'll be re- I'll be down to go for a little uh, squatching. Squatching. Squatching hey, Alabama. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening to the first episode of State of Fear. Uh, again, my name is Chris. And I'm James. And uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. Absolutely. Take care. Hello. My name is Alex Bobulinski of Seventh Circle Productions, Spectral Wolfpack Paranormal, and also known as Bigfoot Bob. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. And while I've had lots of strange encounters with the paranormal in Alabama, I wanted to talk about one place in particular. Uh, So when I first started going to this place, it was due to the fact that there was a cemetery there that was said to be extremely haunted. Within the first night of pulling up there, I had a very strange experience. I pulled up there with a friend. We had just turned our tape recorder on and we were about to get out of the car when suddenly we heard a voice in the car with us. 
Uh, neither of us understood what it said, but it was very clearly a voice right there with us in the car. So we quickly turned the tape recorder off and we pressed play uh, after rewinding it back, only to find that you could hear us talking about the voice, but there was no voice recorded on the tape recorder. So we both heard it, we both experienced it, but there was no documentation of it, even though we were recording. So after that, we would go out into the cemetery and we would hear sounds of like strange, like sound like chains rattling in the woods, voices coming from the woods, things of that nature. So fast forward to a couple years later, I started hearing rumors about werewolf sightings in the area and I actually moved within two miles of this place. So living in the area now, I started to hear some strange things. Uh, there's old mines out in the woods there. There's all kinds of mysteries and secrets that lie within those woods. But I started hearing about these werewolf sightings. And one that I could find that was actually documented well occurred right near the cemetery on the same road. And what happened was there was three people driving in an SUV. And they saw what appeared to be, at first looked like some tail lights or just some bright red lights. As they approached closer to it, they realized that it was something's eyes. And as they pulled up to it, they saw what appeared to be a bipedal canine humanoid type creature is what they described it as. Looking like something out of Underworld, being extremely cut and muscular and lean, standing on two legs and appearing to be canine in nature. So after I had found out about this, and investigating the area further, I actually caught some very fascinating footage there where I was observing a possible tree structure that I found, which is believed to be possibly created by Bigfoot or other, you know, cryptids that might build these structures, uh, similar to how the Native Americans would use trees and things like that to mark trails and mar mark other, other places of interest. But I found an interesting structure and I was observing it. And as I panned the camera up, I didn't notice this at the time. But when I got back and was going through the footage, I found that there were these two big red eyes staring at me and then quickly turned away from me as I panned the camera up. So when I went back and did a size comparison, what I found was pretty intriguing. I found that the head on this thing had to be pretty massive because we couldn't make out the body or anything like what it was. So it was pretty far back and the eyes were far enough apart to where it was much larger than my head even when I stood back pretty far. So whatever this was appeared to be pretty large. And another interesting thing about this was that after it happened in the video I state that I started feeling a very strange vibe like something was watching me. And at the time I didn't even know that something actually was. So another time I was out there I did a camp out. And I begin hearing these strange vocalizations coming from the woods and deeper into the woods, uh, not from where I came in off of the road. So deeper into the woods, I start hearing these strange vocalizations. It was around 11 o'clock at night, and it sounded like some sort of native language, like these deep, very guttural like vocalizations and also these high-pitched squeals as well so a very wide range of different frequencies and different ways that they were using their voices whatever was making these sounds 
And it reminded me a lot of what people refer to as the samurai chatter uh, done by the Bigfoot. They're believed to be done by the Bigfoot. Uh, you know, no one actually knows the truth about all this stuff. So I had heard that and actually captured that on my audio. Um, and so a few other times I was out there, I heard these vocalizations, but I still haven't been able to figure out what is causing them or catch clear enough audio of them to tell what exactly they are saying. All that I know is that it sounds very strange coming from deeper in the woods and it's all happening in the same little area where all these strange things are occurring. Um, another thing that is weird about this area is that I've caught something on camera that some people think it's some type of fairy creature. It almost appears like a white flame moving across the ground. And while at first glance I thought maybe it was just an insect, but the more I observed it and, and checked it out, I was kind of blown away by how it was moving and just how strange the whole thing was. So after I filmed that, another weird thing happened. And this one I only caught a glimpse of it on camera. But what I saw with my own eyes left me kind of startled just because of what I saw. So I was walking along and it had been around this time where in this area I was getting mixed up even though I know my way around. And it would be weird. I would start hearing this owl call and then all of a sudden I'd realize I was mixed up and I would come out where I came in at different places after being lost for like 10 minutes I would all of a sudden come out at a spot that I knew that I could not have possibly been at. So it was really perplexing me. I didn't really know how to explain these strange occurrences, but I just came out of getting mixed up. I was walking along, and I see this large green thing fly in front of me. And my camera actually picked up a glimpse of it, but not the whole thing. But I see this large green thing, and what I saw with my own eyes looked like a little person with green wings and it flew in front of the camera now it's possible this was a big green lunar moth and it just was my eyes were playing tricks on me it was nighttime I'm out there alone I'm already expecting to see something so it is possible but this thing was extremely fast and when I panned the camera around to try and see where it went I could not find it at all so it was just a strange occurrence with some of the other things that have happened out there uh, perhaps this area is a window area like John Keel talks about in the Mothman prophecies, just an area where things are more prone to be able to come through because uh, you have all these different strange occurrences at this one location uh, kind of, you know, in the woods here in Alabama. So just wanted to share that. Um, yeah, it's definitely a fascinating place that I call the hill. So thanks for letting me share this and I hope you enjoyed. Thank you. 